the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. There have been basically four great awakenings in church history. The first one started around 1730, 1740. So 1750 is just a round number. We're talking people like Jonathan Edwards, John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield. This is part of the first great awakening. John Wesley logged more than two, listen to this, more than 250,000 miles on horseback preaching the gospel throughout Scotland and England. All throughout church history, there have been great awakenings when the world began to repent of their sin, and the church began repenting of having a carnal walk with the Lord. As Pastor Gary continues his teaching series through the book of Revelation, he'll be challenging you to repent of any sin that has caused you to backslide away from the Lord. Don't allow any weight of sin to slow you down from following after Jesus. As you pursue the Lord in holiness, He'll use you to bring others to Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. God made gracious provision, however, for their children and said, your children shall go in, but you as adults shall not, because you disobeyed me. God made gracious provision to take the children into the promised land. When you, when you sew all this together, I'm personally convinced, you can disagree if you want to be wrong. I'm personally convinced, I'm kidding, there's room for debate. I'm personally convinced your name is entered. It's the reason why children, before they have an opportunity to receive Christ, their name is in the book of life. Your name is entered. The reason it gets blotted out specifically is when one rejects Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When you don't accept Christ as Lord and Savior, then there's no remedy for you and your name is blotted out of the book of life. And there's no entry to heaven for you. So, you know, I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I'm still saying the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ. What I am saying, however, is based on the language here and other places like what I quoted from David is that your name is first written and it's blotted out if you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and if you don't confess him as Lord and Savior. So you keep your name from being removed by trusting Christ as your personal Lord 
and Savior. So he, he rewards them in this way, and that is a good reminder to all of us. Now, let's talk about this in terms of its uh, church historical application, because the Church of Sardis represents, on the, on the timeline of church history, A.D. 1517 to, eight, to A.D. 1750. And these bookend events were, in, eight, in 1517, the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, who was a Catholic monk on October the 31st, 1517, had 95 objections to the Roman Catholic Church and the Roman Catholic doctrine that became known as his 95 Theses that he nailed on the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And his objection to the Roman... He's, he's, a, he's a Catholic monk himself, and he objected to the Roman Catholic doctrine, particularly, specifically, indulgences. Now, what were indulgences? Indulgences were when the Roman Catholic Church would require an individual to pay them, to pay the church financially with money in order to be absolved from sin. Those were indulgences. That was one of the main things that really ticked off Luther, Uh, besides the fact that the main doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church is salvation by works, not by faith alone in Christ alone. It was penance, it was indulgences, and uh, by the way, I want to you know, thank, because every time I start to touch on things related to the Roman Catholic Church, some people object and they'll email me. I actually got some very wonderful emails from people who um, have Roman Catholic backgrounds saying to me, yes and amen, that was my story. You know, I, I didn't understand until, you know, I came to faith in Jesus. And, and so the, I'm just stating facts that the, that the Roman Catholic Church, the doctrine is a works-oriented religion. Because it's not in Christ alone, through faith alone, uh, by grace alone. It is through different works that you have to do in order to compensate for your sin issues through penance and even through indulgences. And so Luther, uh, frustrated with with this practice, particularly of indulgences, uh, led him to write his 95 Theses, which were quickly snapped up, translated from Latin into German, and distributed widely. And a copy was sent to Rome, and efforts began to convince Luther to change his tune, but he refused to do it. And in 1521, Pope Leo X formally excommunicated Luther from the Catholic Church. That same year, 1521, Luther again refused to recant his writings before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V of Germany, who issued the famous Edict of Worms. And the Edict of Worms declared Luther an outlaw and a heretic. And because of the emperor's edict, it gave permission for anyone to kill Martin Luther without consequence. He was protected, however, by Prince Frederick. And Luther began working on a German translation of the Bible, a task that took 10 years to complete. Now, we're here today as part of the Protestant Reformation. Um, Luther decried the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church, was excommunicated. There was a hit put on his life, but he managed to survive. And, and thus, a stream of Protestantism came out of what was the state church that morphed into the Roman Catholic Church. And 
eventually through 1517 until the early 17 and mid 1700s, there, there was another shift in church history and it was the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening. This revival in the mid-1700s stimulated growth of several educational institutions. Uh, And these following colleges and universities were planted as a result of the Great Awakening, as originally Christian institutions, Princeton, Brown, Rutgers, Dartmouth College, just to name a few. And as a result of the descent from the established churches during the period, it led to a broader toleration of religious diversity and kind of the democratization of religious experience. And all of this led to the Revolutionary War. All of this led to the colonies deciding that religious intolerance uh, by England Uh, is something we should rise up against, and thus the American Revolution was birthed really as a result of the First Great Awakening. Now, this then leads us into the next letter and the next part in church history and the next church, which is the letter to the church of Philadelphia. So let's look here in the remaining time we have to the letter of the church at Philadelphia. I'm in chapter 3 still, starting at verse 7. Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So now we move 28 miles southeast from Sardis. We come to the city of Philadelphia, built by and named after a king of Pergamos. His name was Adelus Philadelphus who died in 138 B.C. Philadelphia translates literally, most of you I'm sure are aware of this, the city of brotherly love. In Greek, that's what the city means. Uh, Little is known about Philadelphia, the biblical city of Philadelphia, besides what we glean from this letter. There's no other mention of this city or this church anywhere else in the Bible outside the book of Revelation. It also, like Sardis, was rocked and devastated several times by earthquakes, almost completely destroyed by the same one in 17 AD. It was situated on the lower slopes of Mount Tumulus, which are volcanic hills, and as a result of the volcanic activity that predated Philadelphia, the, the, the soil in that region was very rich and uh, it, it was very fertile, and grapes were one of the principal crops here in Philadelphia. And as such, uh, it became the reason for Philadelphia's worship of Dionysus, the god of wine. 
The Roman name, uh, rather, the, the, uh, yeah, the Roman name for Dionysus is Bacchus. And there was always an annual feast that involved a lot of drinking and a lot of orgies. And so that's this city. Yet again, against this backdrop, a Christian church was thriving. The modern name for Philadelphia in Turkey today is Alasher. Alasher is Arabic for Alasher, God city, the city of God in Arabic. It is now dominated by Islam in that city. Here's the breakdown of this letter to the church of Philadelphia. Jesus' title is he who is holy and true, who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut or shuts, no one can open. Okay, God identifies himself as holy and true in the title of this letter. He is holy, he is perfect, he is pure in all his ways, and he is true. Now, there are two different Greek words that we might translate the word true with. One means true and not false, and another Greek word means true and not fake. The latter is what is used here, true and not fake. It is alethinos. And it has the idea that Jesus is real. He is genuine. Jesus is true in all of who he is. He is the real God and the real man. He is the God-man. And when it says here that he is also known as the one who has the key of David, and, and it talks about what he opens, no one can shut or shuts, no one can open. That's actually a quote from Isaiah 22, verse 22. Isaiah 22, 22 says those very words. And so what Jesus is asserting here is his authority and his power as the rightful heir to the throne of David. That's all in his title. He commends them for having a little strength. Now, that, that does not mean that they were weak because they only had a little strength. What that actually means is that they had real strength, but they are not too full of themselves. Their real strength, they know, comes from God. And so he commends them. You guys are strong. You're spiritually strong here. And he also commends them for keeping God's word without denying his name in the face of persecution. Remember, this literal church, a literal letter, first century, Christians are going through great persecution. It isn't until, you know, again, 312 AD that they get favored status. And so he commends them. You've kept my word. You've been obedient. You've not denied my name even though you have faced persecution. And notice, if you will, he has no complaint against this church. None. No complaint. This is the ideal church. This is the evangelical. This is the evangelistic church. And his reward for the evangelistic church is that they will be kept from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world. Now, the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world is also known in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, as Jacob's trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble. Also in the book of Daniel, Daniel prophesied about it in Daniel 9, 27, as Daniel's 70th week. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 24, 21, when he said, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. This is speaking of the great tribulation. Now, friends, this is a proof text for us as to why it is that the church, the true church, at the time when Jesus returns, will be taken from the earth prior to the tribulation period. This is a proof text for us that we will be delivered from the hour of the trial that is coming upon the whole world. This is Jesus saying, the reward for the church, the true followers of mine, when I return, will be that they will escape the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world. He's talking about the great tribulation. 
In fact, in Matthew 24, 21, I just read a minute ago, the next verse, verse 22 says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. For the sake of the elect, we will not have to endure the great tribulation. Now, Paul comes along in his letter to, to the Thessalonians, and in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, he talks about how that when the trumpet sounds from God, uh, the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Next chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he talks in verses 1 through 11 about the seasons and times of his coming. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.1, he says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that, you, that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a, pro- a pregnant woman. Now, he's talking about the intensity of the tribulation that comes attached to that part of the end times. But then a few verses later... That's the context. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, he says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the church is not appointed to wrath. And God is going to graciously rescue us from the coming tribulation upon the earth. I will have more to say and to show you from Revelation chapter 4 why I believe that that is the case, that the church has taken prior to the rapture. So I'll save that for chapter 4. Let me just quickly move on to the aspect of church history and why this is a significant event here when we come to the church of Philadelphia, because it represents the evangelistic church from 1750 ongoing right now. Now, no church is perfect, right? And if you think one is, don't join it or you'll ruin it, okay? There's no church that is perfect, all right? But I would see ourselves as part of the church of Philadelphia, as an evangelistic church that will get raptured, that will be spared the wrath that is coming upon the earth. And so in 1750, here's what happened, and it is ongoing today as part of this stream. But the reason I show you this slide behind me is because there was a, a diverging streams in the church age. And we'll get into more of this next week because our time is about escape this. The one stream is the evangelistic church. That's what is represented by the Church of Philadelphia. The other stream is the Church of Laodicea, which we'll get into next week. That's the apostate church. And there are two streams right now in our world. It's undeniable. There are some churches that are evangelistic, believe in the fullness of Scripture, believe in the inerrancy of the Word of God, believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And then there's a liberal apostate church that is, that is alive and well today, sadly, that denies Scripture, denies the inerrancy of the Word, denies the virgin birth, denies Jesus as the only way to salvation, denies Scripture in general as the foundation of truth and morality of faith and practice. And those two churches, those two kinds of churches exist today. All right, there are two different streams. Now, let me tell you just for tonight, before we close, here's what happened in the evangelistic church, the Church of Philadelphia. There have been basically four great awakenings in church history. The first one started around 1730, 1740. So 1750 is just a round number. We're talking people like Jonathan Edwards, John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield. This is part of the first great awakening. John Wesley logged more than two, listen to this, more than 250,000 miles on horseback preaching the gospel 
throughout Scotland and England. 250,000 miles on horseback. The gospel spread, this first great awakening. People were getting saved in the, in the mid-1700s, starting, it was really entrenched in 1750. Then it gave way to the second great awakening, which was 1790 to 1840. Author J. Edwin Orr wrote about the second great awakening in his book, The Rebirth of America. Listen to this. This is fascinating. He said, quote, in the mid-1800s, people began to be converted at the rate of 10,000 a week in New York City. Don't you pray for that again. Amen? Amen? 10,000 a week in New York City. The movement spread throughout New England. Church bells would bring people to prayer at 8 in the morning, 12 noon, and 6 in the evening. The revival went up the the Judson and down the Mohawk. Baptists had so many people to baptize, they couldn't get them into their churches. They went down to the river, cut a big square in the ice, and baptized them in cold water. In one year, 1857, more than one million people were converted. In one year, 1857, more than one million people were converted. The revival crossed the Atlantic, broke out in Northern Ireland and Scotland and Wales and England, South Africa, South India. Anywhere there was an evangelical cause, there was revival, and its effect was felt for 40 years, end quote. It eventually gave way to the Third Great Awakening, which was 1855 to 1930. Part of the, great, the Third Great Awakening around 1904-1905 was the Great Awakening in Wales, the Great Welsh Revival. One of the fascinating things that happened in the Welsh Revival, it was captured in a book, The Glory of His Presence, by Dr. John Shiver. And he talked about how there was a powerful move of God that swept across Welsh towns and valleys. Entire communities were transformed. Bars and gambling houses closed due to lack of business. Prostitution ceased. Courthouses closed because there were no criminal cases to try. This is what happened. All social indicators improved throughout Wales except for one. Coal production. Why was it that coal production dropped during the period of the Great Awakening? Here's why. Here's what they discovered. And this is what Dr. Shiver records in his book. The donkeys that would haul the coal out of the coal mines on these little coal carts refused to listen to the orders of the coal miners because the coal miners got saved and stopped using bad language. (laughs) True story. And no longer were the donkeys responding to their pleas. So instead, they, they were like, come on, you gracious little animals, you. God bless you. Move now. Move, would you? And they wouldn't move because they were used to them cussing at them. True story. The fourth great awakening was 1960 to 1980. Billy Graham, the Jesus movement with Calvary Chapel and Chuck Smith, the charismatic movement of the 70s and 80s. Listen, friends, it happens about every 30 to 40 years. The last of the Great Awakenings was around 1980. We are due for another one. The time is right. Right now. The time is right for another Great Awakening. Our world is getting crazier by the minute. And all of this stuff that is happening, including this mysterious virus that we're all dealing with, And we have an election coming up in November. Listen, it's time for another great awakening. And we need to be praying for that. Praying for that. Praying for that. 
praying for that like mad and watch the Holy Spirit fall, I pray, on our nation. The Church of Philadelphia became labeled as the evangelistic church because of its global influence in the gospel still ongoing today. Tens, hundreds of thousands, millions of people have been saved during this time period of church history. And may God continue to do his saving work through his church. And may we be a part of it. Amen. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Revelation again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary through his Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or you can download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. It's a great way to have a quiet time anytime. You'll find a link on our website, along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. So send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. Prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Put a marker where we left off in this final book of the Bible and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time for more, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.